0: Amen. All right, young people, you are dismissed. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Please turn to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1 this morning. And <clears throat> I wasn't... tried to start leading singing this morning, but my voice isn't just there. And like many of you, fighting a cold and whatever. And so, uh, didn't Calvin do a great job? Yes. Really did. I've, I've told our guys for years... I can find a hundred song leaders. I need somebody that can lead in worship. And there's a difference. And get up and wave your arm and just say, here's the next song, here's the number, let's sing it. And, uh, but put some heart into it and lead us to the throne of grace. Take us to Jesus, and that's what we try to do. We're not always successful, but praise the Lord, I feel like Brother Calvin did a great job in leading us in worship this morning. I saw a couple themes emerge from the songs this morning. We do try to theme them a little bit, but some that I didn't look at at purpose. Number one was, was the idea of pardon. I saw that in three different songs that we are pardoned. The one that really jumps out at me is the price of my pardon, his own precious son. Isn't that amazing? And I got thinking about, it's a terrible thing to think about really in church, but a a friend of mine from years ago, before he knew the Lord as Savior, got into a lot of trouble and uh, had been in jail a few times and different things. And, uh, you know, actually what happened is we met him on a Sunday morning. He got out of jail on a Sunday morning out of the drunk tank and called a friend and said, I'm sick of this life. I'm going to church with you this morning. And two weeks later, accepted Christ as Savior and has never looked back. And we praise the Lord for that. But I remember we were going somewhere on a a trip, something for church or whatever, and and, uh, he says, I don't think I can cross the border, preacher. He says, uh, I have to go get a pardon. Isn't it wonderful that when Christ forgives, he also pardons? It's all tied up in one. You know, we can pay our debt to society, and he'd done, you know, time in jail, short terms, nothing big, and, uh, and he had forgiven, been forgiven, he'd paid his debt, but he still needed a pardon. But when Christ forgives, he also pardons. Isn't that wonderful that we have that freedom and liberty in Christ because of the pardon he gives us? That's why when we sing those songs that say our chains are gone or breaks the the chains, uh, that's what it's referring to. We have liberty. And what a shame. What a shame when we return to that old sin. Go back to those things that defiled us in the first place. And so pardon is one of the themes that I saw. But the other theme I saw was that Christ fights for us. Yeah. Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He fights every battle, the song says. And uh, we sang, the blood of Jesus speaks for me. And that one verse says, the one who fights for me is king. Yeah. The one who fights for me is king. And we're going we're to talk about that a little bit in our message this morning. How many of you know that in the day and age we live in, uh, we're going to need the king to fight for us even more? That's it. We really are. And we're going to need, to, as a people of God, to learn how to rely upon the Lord to fight our battles because we are, we are few, but with God, we make up a majority. Yeah. And so we're going to need his strength. And so we're going to look at that in Exodus chapter 1 this morning. Uh, before I, I do, I just want to thank you for your prayers for our daughter, Emily. We got a surprise this week. Emily's due to have a baby on March the 18th. But on Tuesday, she called and she says, she says, there's... Just something I need to go to the doctor and get checked out. Something's changed. And so she went to the doctor, and the doctor says, oh, no, you're, you're in labor. And so he wanted to send her home. That's what men do. He wanted to send her home. And uh, there was a female nurse there, and she says, I think we better watch for an hour. And after an hour, things had progressed, even, and the doctor says, oh, the nurse was right. And uh, he says, I think you're going to have this baby probably by 2 o'clock. And so we, we didn't even, we had gone down to see them on family day and we got back late Monday night and my wife wasn't feeling really well. And so I said, I'll, I'll just take in our luggage, our clothes. I said, we had some other things that we had got. And I said, I said I'll, I'll clean that out tomorrow. I was literally trying to clean stuff out of the car to put more stuff in the car and turn around and go right on back to Michigan. And so we didn't get there in time for the birth, but we got to see the baby a couple hours later. And uh, we praise the Lord for the safe arrival. And uh, mom and baby are doing fine for being uh, four weeks early. Uh, she was five pounds, 11 ounces, and her name is Elena Lou. Elena Lou. And so I shared with the Wednesday night crowd where that name comes from. Elena is from Allen. Isn't that awesome? How many of you men have always wanted a girl named after you? <clears throat> so it's a little bit demasculating, but anyway, i I'm thrilled. And uh, then the Lou is from my wife's middle name. My wife is named Ida Lou, and her mother was Mary Lou. And uh, I'll tell you the little story about that quickly. Um, my, my wife and her two brothers, she had an older brother and a younger brother, and she has two more brothers since then, but those three, three, three of them were adopted by their stepfather, their first stepfather. And when they were adopted, they didn't have middle names. And so, Mom, Mary Lou, said to the kids, you can pick your own middle names. They were all five and six years old at the time, just little ones. You can pick a middle name for yourself. On the adoption papers, they would like a middle name, as a matter of fact, to further identify you for down the road, you know? There's other people with similar names. And so my wife, she picked Lou, because her mother was Mary Lou, and so she picked Ida Lou. And how many of you remember an old TV show named Chips? The California Highway Patrol, and there was two police officers named John and Paunch. And so my brothers, brother-in-laws, that's what they did. One was John and one was Paunch because that was cool. You know, it could have been Bo and Luke. So we were, you know, so it's Elias John and it's Telly Paunch. And uh, they, they thought they were big stuff because they were... Holly, uh, California Highway Patrol Cops and so anyway that's where the name Lou comes from and so now you're enlightened a little bit more let's look at Exodus chapter 1 let's, let's get into something that's real important in the word of God and I hope it's a help to you today um, Brother Calvin's going to come at the end of the service and share some prayer requests today and of course we're getting uh, can I say this don't be complacent in these prayer requests I know you hear them often and they keep coming back, but that's because they're vital and they're important. And so we're going to keep praying for people. And uh, I don't know, it blessed my heart to see Matt Pankhurst up here. yeah, Praising his hands and praising the Lord and knowing that uh, he's facing some, some tests this week and things about some things they found. And so let's, let's continue to pray for these, these folks. And, and uh, that was a blessing to me, Matthew. Thank you for encouraging my heart this morning. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, we are living in perilous times. The Bible says that very plainly, doesn't it? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, this you know that in the last days perilous times shall come and we are in the last days. I don't say that in a prophetic sense. I can't, I can't get stand before you today and say it's five minutes before midnight. I don't know. I don't know when the Lord might return. But here's what I know, that when the day of Pentecost come, Peter stood and said, this was prophesied of the prophet Joel that in the last days or the latter days, this would happen. So from the time of Pentecost until now, we've been in the last days. And the Lord could come at any time. But if I'm to, to guess, and don't go home and say, Pastor's putting a date on something, or he's saying the Lord's turn, I think we're close, I think the Lord could return at any moment. As we look around us, we see the signs of the times being fulfilled, and we see, but but can I be honest with you? I think 300 years ago, there was probably a church service where the pastor said, I see signs being fulfilled. And so I think God puts that yearning in every generation's heart that we might go home, that we might see the Lord return in power and glory. Because we sure, we, we sure don't talk. I, I read this statistic and it made me, made me think. It made me think. 44% of marriages end in divorce. Did you know that? But here's what it made me think. Here's how my mind works. That means 56% of marriages end in death. Think about that. It's divorce or death. That's the only way out of this thing. That's it. Do you know that death has 100% success rate so far? It's a one-to-one ratio. And so I think every generation has that yearning in their heart that one day Jesus will come. And we look forward to that. The Bible calls it the blessed hope. The blessed hope. Where blessed means to have spiritual joy. God gives us that joy because we can look upward and believe that our Savior is coming soon. But for now, we know that we live in perilous times. John chapter 15 records the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said this, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They will also persecute you. I believe we live in those days. Let me say this as a preface this morning. Understand this, what we are experiencing as far as freedom of religion and worship in our nation is a rarity in the history of the world. It is a rarity when it comes to the the, the geographic area of the world. In other words, we, we are very fortunate we are in Canada, that we live in North America and we have a semblance of freedom to worship God as we please because there's a lot of places in this world that do not have that freedom. That is true. Wasn't long ago, I was checking on some missionaries in India and, and one of the missionaries was telling me, he says, we, we finished building this building and just as we finished, the rebels came and burnt it down. He says, we moved to another town and we built another building and they bulldozed it to the ground. He says, "We just can't seem to get anything going." He says, "The believers are still faithful and they still come and they still worship, but we're, we're sitting in fields and under trees and, and, and trying to, to do our best to build a church for the glory of God, but it, it will not be with brick and mortar. It'll be simply with the souls of men. We live in those days, but we have been rarely blessed because of God has allowed us this freedom. And we look at things and say, oh, I'm persecuted. Oh, but thank God for the freedom you do have. The Bible promises this. Yea, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to happen. And so I want you to look at Exodus chapter 1 this morning. And as affliction arises, and as we see more and more coming down the pipe, I want you to be encouraged by what we see in Exodus chapter 1. Is there ever been, let me ask you this very honestly, has there ever been a people more afflicted than the Jewish people? And you think you have it bad. From the time of the Old Testament, we see that the Jews were afflicted. From the moment of their very foundation, 70 souls would enter into Egypt to find refuge to care for their family. As Joseph had been sold into Egyptian slavery, had now risen to second in command over all of Egypt, he provided that refuge for his family and invited them in and it was supposed to be a good time, a glorious time, a time for their family to thrive as Joseph had wisely put away food and provisions to take care of the entire nation and that would include his own family. The Bible says a new king rose up who knew not Joseph. Let that be a lesson to us in that verse alone of how important our influence is. What happened that a king would come who didn't know who Joseph was? Now, obviously, Joseph had passed away by this time, and, but, but who were the next ones to take up the mantle? Who were the others to cry out for the glory of God and to, to keep that influence with, with the king? Somebody. Drop the ball. Now, if you will, read in Exodus chapter 1 as it gives us the names of the family. Now, there are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed, exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them. Lest they multiply and it come to pass that when they fall without any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built to Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives of which the name of the one was Shipra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, And see them upon the stools. If it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men, children alive. The king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing and have saved the men, children alive? And the midwives said unto the Pharaoh, Because... The Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore, God dealt, dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. It came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every one that is born, ye shall cast; or every son that is born, ye shall cast into the river; and every daughter, ye shall save alive. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you'd help us to understand it, speak to our hearts with it today. We pray that you've been honored by the worship this morning, Lord, that it would be a blessing unto thee. Father, if it was a blessing unto thee, we pray, Lord, now that the Spirit of God would speak to us. Lord, that you would return unto us, Lord, that the word of God and help us to understand it, enlighten it unto us today, and give us strength. Lord, as we stand in this wicked world today, And so, Father, we thank you for all these things. We pray for your filling in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned before, we are living in perilous times, but none like the Jews did when they lived in Egypt. I have a feeling that Satan was tickled. That's an old word, isn't it? Tickled. I think he enjoyed very much the idea of the people of God. Don't forget, Abraham had already been tabbed as the people of God. And Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph. And, and we see the family as it, as it begins to grow. And now up to 71 souls. And I'm sure that Satan was thrilled that all that family ended up in Egypt. But his joy soon turned to sadness as the people of God began to thrive. Let me say very plainly, Satan's okay as long as we're in the world but he sure doesn't like it when we thrive. When God's people are a mighty army, when God's people are changing the laws of the nation, when God's people are standing for truth, and I expect that what was going on, this new Pharaoh rose up and he says, who is this Joseph and why are all these laws enacted and why are we behaving such, we are Egyptians and we need to go back to our own God's. These people are larger and mightier than we are. And so we must take action. I don't know, when I read that, I see a parallel in our nation today. I see as the government is striving once again with Bill C-637. I don't know if you've read about that recently and we've heard about these things coming down the pipeline over and over again and some of them, I'll be honest, I, I don't, they don't concern me initially. I look at them and say, who cares? God is still on the throne. It is better to obey God rather than man. Bill C-637 states that they want to remove the religious exception out of the hate speech act. They said, "What does that mean? Up until now, it was hate speech to to speak derogatorily about any people group, whether it be a homosexual group or a transgender group, or and, and understandably uh, even even racism. They didn't want you speaking bad about another race, and, and but if you could use a Bible and teach from the Word of God or a religious text, not just the Bible, if you were teaching from a religious text in good faith, what your beliefs were, then it was accepted." They wanna remove that. In other words, the preaching of the pure, unadulterated word of God could become illegal in Canada if this bill were passed. Now that doesn't mean we cannot get up and preach God is good, that you must be born again, and we can preach a lot of the things of the word of God, but they want to eliminate the whole counsel of God. Let Let me say this, they call it hate speech. Do you know what real hatred is? Letting somebody go to hell in their sin and not alerting them that there's a Savior who loves them and wants to forgive them and can miraculously change their lives. And so we must make a choice. He said, what will happen at Bethel Baptist Church? Nothing. Nothing. We will not change what we preach. We will stand firmly upon the word of God. I want you to notice in the Word this morning some things. And if you'll turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we want to read that passage this morning. Let me be very clear about something. <clears throat> I despise going to preaching meetings, and a preacher gets up and goes for the cheap amens. You know what I mean? I went to a, a meeting a, a few years ago, and and uh, at the Northeast Vision Summit and a pastor got up and understand there's, there's a few hundred pastors there all from the same types of churches that we are. And he gets up and he preached on the uh, you men ought to have the King James Bible and he's going on and on. And I'm thinking, yeah, everybody in the room has one right in their lap. But it was so you can get the amen, amen and preaching and, and people getting angry at each other and yelling. It's just not necessary. And so that is not my heart today. I want you to understand that because we'll say some things that will appeal to us. We ought to stand for truth and, we, and, and you, you're welcome to say amen, that's fine, but I'm not going for those cheap amens. I want you to know that. With all sincerity, we need to understand how important it is to take a stand for God in these perilous times. Look at 2 Timothy chapter three. 2 Timothy chapter three. I... I I was at a national pastor's meeting. I don't know why this popped in my head. I was at a national pastor's meeting where there was only 90 pastors in the room and their wives. That was it. And a guy got up and preached against smoking. Now, some of the preacher's wives might have been. I don't know. But I thought, what in the world? Preach to the choir, right? This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Why? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Ooh. When you exalt yourself over God, you're always gonna fall into trouble. When you exalt the flesh over the spirit, you're always gonna fall into trouble. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, true speakers, false accusers, and con and fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Hey, doesn't it always make you laugh when you hear some politician quote the Bible to justify their wickedness? They are reprobate concerning the faith. And yet they use words God's word like it's some tool. But they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Can I just subtitle that? God's Got This. God's Got This. Their, Their folly shall proceed no further. Verse ten But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let me just read those next few words. But continue thou. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. What have we learned? We've learned the Bible, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And why do we know the Bible? Why do we learn the Bible? Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I hear a lot of things today, and honestly, a lot of it makes me say, So what? There's a concern about global warming. Global warming. And I say, God is still on the throne. I'm not really all well that worried about it. There's, there's cries of all kinds of different things coming down the pipeline, and I say, I'm not worried about it because God is in control. And their folly shall proceed no further. God will come in judgment and judge the earth, and I can trust him. But then there's other things that come along when I know God says, I want you to stand, I need you to stand. And though you suffer persecution, that's the very plan of God. Well, that's hard for me to swallow. God said it's going to happen. We can't escape it. Think about that. Let me ask you this Has God ever written anything in this book that did not come to pass? So if he says, Yea, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, do you think that might come to pass? Sure it will. So rather than escaping it, how do we deal with it? How do we live for God in an increasingly secular society when culture is taking over all around us? And I want you to understand that there are ditches on both sides of the road. We have to be very careful that we stay out of both. There are those today, if we're not careful, we become unbalanced in this life, and there are some today that they see the hand of Satan. They don't see the hand of Satan in anything. They have a caserah, sarah attitude, whatever may be may be, and I'm just going to go with the flow. and unfortunately, they're easily taken by surprise. We need to be reminded often that there's a real spiritual battle taking place. for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, there is a spiritual battle always taking place as the accuser of the saints is always striving to make you fail. Don't fall into that trap that everything's okay. But there are also some who see everything as affliction and persecution. Everybody that says anything negative is persecuting them and friends we got to be careful not to develop a victim mentality a victim mentality it felt like during COVID that every time there was a new rule they're attacking the church well no they attacked walmart too all kinds of businesses were closed not just us And so we have to be careful not to be victims in this thing. Do you know why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you know what else Jesus said? I have overcome the world. We have victory in Christ if we just learn how to trust him. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Bible says we must be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. I want you to notice some principles from the scripture this morning. Notice, first of all, in Exodus chapter 1, an unreasonable assumption. An unreasonable. Isn't that how things often happen? Somebody makes an assumption. Do you know, I can remember at one time when the assumption was church is good. The Bible is a good book. It was called the good book, even by unsaved people. I remember when I was working at a grocery store in Port Dover and I was witnessing to a, a fellow that, that now works at Food Basics and I still see him once in a while and try to talk to him and invite him out to things and, and he came out to play baseball with us a few times when we were teenagers and, and, and I, I was witnessing to him pretty regularly and talking to him about the gospel and I, I remember one time uh, we were up at the it was a Friday night and we were trying to close up the store and we were bagging things up and, and one of the ladies said do you guys have big plans tonight? You going?" To drinking I was only about 17 but that wasn't unusual for a 17 year old I suppose and Jamie says no no he follows the good book now I don't know if I did it very successfully a lot of days I'll tell you that but even an unsaved man knew it's the good book there's morals and there's standards that we should follow and the assumption used to be that it was a good book. I remember going to court for a young man that had got into some trouble and the, the judge said to him, young man, your, your pastor is here today and there's a, a godly old lady here today that loves you and came to support you. And he says, I want you to know something. You've been given more light than a lot of people your age. He says, I am not a religious fuddy-duddy. Those were his words. And he took the Bible that they swear people in to witness on and he set it up on his desk. And he says, But here's what I've learned in 30 years of being a judge: people that read that book don't end up in that chair. I want to shout amen in a courtroom. I thought I'd be arrested. The assumption used to be it was a good book. The assumption today is that it's hate literature and that it's wrong. I want you to notice how opinions change as we look in the word of God in verse 8. The Bible says, there arose a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them. Lest they multiply and it come to pass that when... There fall without any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. I want you to notice that this assumption started with a particle of truth. The Bible says in verse 9, he said unto his people, behold, the people of children of Israel are more and mightier than me. That's just simple uh, taking a census. There's more of them than there are of us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say that about Canada? that the influence of God's people is greater than the influence of the world. And friends, maybe 100 years ago it was. Maybe 50 years ago it was, but no longer. We are no longer considered a Christian nation. Not that we ever were, but at least that was the the consideration or the label that we carried as a nation. We were a nation that claims Psalm 72 and verse 8, he shall have dominion from sea to sea the Dominion of Canada. We used to sing until just recently, we still sing it here by the way, God keep our land glorious and free. Oh, but it's changed. And we're increasing in our secularism, but it it starts with a little truth. It starts with them saying, well, these Christians, there's a, a lot of them, and these Christians, they have their agenda, and you know, that doesn't reflect who we are as a nation any longer. And so things begin to change. So it started with a particle of truth, but it turned into a perceived threat. And in verse 10, it says, come on, let us deal wisely with them. I like how Pharaoh says wisely, like he has some great wisdom. Let us deal wisely with them lest they multiply and it come to pass that when they fall without any war, they join also in our enemies and fight against us and so get them up, out, out, of the land. The truth is this, friends, the people of God were not a threat to Pharaoh. They were contributors to the land, not consumers. They were they were the ones that brought the blessing of God and not curse. Let me ask you this, where would Egypt be if it were not for the man of God Joseph? They would have died in a drought like all the other nations around them but because of her stature of a nation, it can be owed back to Joseph and his godliness and wisdom, of how he led that nation to fruitfulness. Oh, the world looks at us today like we're a cancer, like we are the trouble, but friends, we are the salt and the light of the world. And We need to stand like we are and take a stand for God Here's a truth that the world would not like to hear and Canada would not like to hear. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Imagine if Joseph had not been there for Egypt. Imagine if there were no Christians in Canada today. It all started with an unreasonable assumption about God's people, their trouble. I want you to be reminded of what I said earlier. Let's be careful not to fall into a victim mentality. I don't feel that anybody's knocking on my door and dragging me off anywhere. But I want you to be understand very plainly, I believe they be, that, that the world today believes that that book is a threat. It is not a threat to truth. It's a threat to their way of life. If you believe that book, you won't have an abortion. If you believe that book, you'll try to live godly in Christ Jesus. Oh, we'll fail, we won't be perfect all the time. But if we stand on this book, God's holy word, it'll change our lives. Oh, what we need in this country is not more liber- liberal laws that are passed into place and allowing 12 year olds to take hormones that change their body and have-, have surgeries that alter them forever. What we need is revival. Amen. Come on. We need to get back to God's word. Oh, we've become a sinful people. May judgment start at the house of God. They made an unreasonable assumption about God's people. I want you to see, secondly, it turned into an unrelenting affliction. An unrelenting affliction. I want you to notice, first, it was a purposeful affliction. It was planned. Let us deal wisely. How do we take care of this problem? There was a plan to deliberately attack the people of God. You know, that should be no surprise. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He says, he ever satisfied? Lions just keep getting hungry. Never satisfied. And what was the real agenda? Three words, lest they multiply. Let me say this this morning. Let's be clear. They wanted to stop their progress in their influence. The burdens and the labor that they placed upon them would greatly reduce their lifespan and many would die young in the slime pits The word rigor here, if you read in verse 10, come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass when they fall without the war, they join also our enemies and fight against us, and so get them out of the land. Therefore they did sit over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with Rigor. The word rigor means harshness, severity, and cruelty. They said, We're going to put a burden upon their back that is so severe and so cruel. Many will die doing this labor, building these cities. They will fall to their death. They will drown in a slime pit. They'll die under a taskmaster's whip. You say, How do you know that there is motive? Because he said, Lest they multiply. We don't want any more of God's people. We must stop them. Because God is on their side. I want you to notice the means by which of this, some of this would take place. We see a purposeful affliction, but we see a planned assimilation. Verse 11. Oh, this is important. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. Python. And Ramses. Do you know I've read that a thousand times and just kind of glossed over it? Yes, we know that the Egyptians were put to work, or the Egyptians put the Israelites, the Jewish people to work, and they, they set taskmasters over them, and they abused them, and they hurt them, and they beat them, and they had them build these cities, and, oh, I want you to understand what those cities represent. Python was the progenial god of the Egyptians, He was the God from which all their other gods came from. He was self-created. Who does that sound like? He was their idea of who God really was. And as they built this treasure city, it was a tribute to their God. It was a temple under their God. As you walk into those tribute cities, you would see giant idols carved of stone of their gods. The architecture throughout the streets would be shrine after shrine to their gods. They were treasure cities where literally they would take riches and treasures and the spoils of war and they would put them in those cities and they were offerings unto that god. Python was the main god of Egypt and Ramsey was the Pharaoh who was the representation of God on earth. Think about this, Satan always has counterfeits, doesn't he? Python was the counterfeit Jehovah. Ramses was the counterfeit Christ as the representative of God in the flesh on earth. As the Israelites, the Jewish people, got up every day, I thought about titling this message, You're Not in Goshen Anymore. They would leave their homes in Goshen where they had lived peacefully for quite some time now. Joseph and all his brethren had lived and died. A generation at least had passed. Enough time had had gone by that the Pharaoh didn't even know who Joseph was anymore. He was only stung by his policies. And so for all that time, they lived in relative peacefulness and they thrived in the land of Goshen. But now every day they would walk to Python or Ramses and they would build for fake gods, treasure cities that would be used in their worship. They would see the Egyptians as they worshiped those false gods, as those Jewish stonemasons would chip away another idol. They were immersed in their culture. I wonder how many assimilated Those cities would take 40, 50, 100 years to build perhaps. I wonder after 10 years in the slime pits if some man looked up and said, God, where are you? Maybe I'll worship Python instead. Maybe I'll worship Ramses or Isis or one of the thousands of Egyptian gods. As their cry went unheard for generations. How many were assimilated? Friend, I'm gonna tell you, we're seeing that in our young people today. As our society becomes more and more secular, things are becoming normalized that we would have never dreamed of. I read a book not long ago by Dr. David Jeremiah just entitled, I never thought I'd see the day. Ten chapters on ten different things that are going on in our culture today that he said, I, I never thought as a boy that would ever. We didn't even think of that. We never entertained the thought. If somebody behaved in that way, we thought, man, what what a mess. And society as a whole would would take them and discipline them or punish them or put them in a place where they could get the help that they need. They would say it was a mental illness, but no, no, it's normal today. And you are wicked and unloving if you say otherwise. I'll remind you what I said a few moments ago it is wicked and unloving to let somebody go to hell in their sin. We don't have to be unkind, we can speak the truth in love. I'm reminded of the book of Ezekiel where it talks about the watchman. If the watchman sees the enemy coming and he sounds not the alarm, then their blood is upon his hands. How are your hands today? Are we sounding the alarm for God? We see a planned assimilation as each day they were subjected Oh, you say, did they, did they just willingly do that? No, no. The Bible says they were taskmasters. They were forced. But how many of you know after you've been beaten a few times and you've succumbed to injury and pain a few times and your mind is constantly being bombarded by this sinful condition, how many would have just given in, their spirit's broken? And eventually they changed. I just listened to a sermon a couple weeks ago about the Episcopal Church in the United States. You say, a sermon on a church? Yes. Do you know there's lots of sermons in the church in the Bible? The Bible talks about seven of them in Revelation. And if they behaved a certain way, their candlestick could be removed. The Episcopal Church in the United States is ordaining transgender people and homosexuals to, to lead their congregations. And the preacher boldly said, their candlestick has been removed. And so how do you know that? Because the Bible says they are not a biblical church. They're not standing for truth. And we see more and more of that each and every day. Oh, but the Bible says about the people of Israel that even in the midst of all of this, though it affected them greatly, the people still thrived. The Bible says they still multiplied and they still grew. So look what happened next. We see a painful atrocity a painful atrocity. If they would not die of natural causes, the king would kill them. Look what it says in verse 15. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives of which the name of the one was Shipra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. If it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them. But saved the men children alive, and the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing, and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered on the ere uh, the midwives come in unto them. Jump down to the last verse, twenty-two, and Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every one that is every son that is born, he shall cast into the river, and every daughter he shall save alive. Let me say this: Satan is a murderer. And he loves death. You say, why why are we so concerned about certain rules the government puts down? Because listen, it always leads to death. Sin, when it is finished, is death. The wages of sin is death. Listen, if we had a people 50 years ago that would have taken a stand for the word of God, if God's people in Canada had taken a stand and the churches hadn't shifted so dramatically to the left. Would we have abortion today? Would we have medical assistance in dying today? Would we have euthanasia today? But Satan is a murderer, and his goal is always death—to eliminate God's people. I want you to see, finally, this morning. My time is long gone, but listen—we need to see this a principled answer a principled answer. We've talked about a planned assimilation and we've talked about a painful atrocity. I want you to see a principled answer this morning. First of all, we see grace to stand. Look at verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men, children alive. At some point, after generations of persecution, the midwives said this, that is a line we will not cross. That is a line we will not cross. There's been a lot of things come down the pipe in the last few years, and we say, oh, that's an infringement upon our rights. It is. I'll agree. But can I tell you this? I don't think I dipped my sails one little bit and it didn't harm me at all to put a mask on. It wasn't a big deal to me. Now, if it was a big deal to you, that's, that's fine. That's, that's your stand. That wasn't a big deal. But I'm gonna tell you this, there's some lines we will not cross. And those Hebrew midwives said, this has gone far enough. I'm not willing to take that journey. Yeah, there's some other things. We've helped you build some cities and we've been, we've been at the taskmaster's whip and, and, and there's some things that, you know, it wasn't worth dying over, but I'm gonna tell you this, we will not kill children. There are some things that are worth dying for and we're going to stand. We will not. Well, you can do what you want, but I will not. Stop preaching the word of God. We will not bow to Bill C367. Now our response ought not be anger. We ought not start a whole series preaching against everything under the sun that makes us mad. Have you ever been in a church like that? That's all they do is preach on stuff that makes them mad. Boy, it gets tiring after a while. Hey, after a while you need to be for something, not just against things. I'm so thankful that we still preach the blood of Christ can redeem us from all of our sin. And so we need to be forced some things. And we don't want to come up with that response, but we should never shy away from the truth of the word of God. They had the grace to stand. And I want you to see God's reward and we'll be done. Verse 20, therefore God dealt with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. God blessed the people as they multiplied. And look at verse 21, and it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. I don't know who Shipra and Pua are. I don't know who they are. But I wonder if their husband said, honey, you're gonna die. The Pharaoh's called you to come. And you've got a house full of children of your own and we need you here and if you don't obey this law. (coughs) If they didn't have husbands, I know they had moms and dads, brothers and sisters, friends who loved them and perhaps even pleaded with them, is this really worth dying for? And they said, yes, it is. Can you imagine their surprise when they walked out of the door of their brand new home. <laughs> I don't even know how God did that. Isn't that cool? Amen. Did they just wake up one morning, there's two brand new houses in their backyard, and go, hey, those are for you ladies? Amen. I don't know. But God made them houses. Wasn't that... Listen, God always rewards obedience. They said, we will obey God rather than man. He says, so what do we do? We need to start with prayer, don't we? He said, oh, I I don't want to be persecuted. I'm tired of the persecution. Can I remind you of one verse and we're done? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ or tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sorrow? Nothing. Persecution can't separate you from the love of Christ. Just close your eyes and you'll be in heaven if it ever comes to that. But for now we keep trusting God, keep obeying his word, and keep pressing forward. Let's pray for our nation today, would you do that? Let's bow together and stand as we pray. Our Father, there are things going on in our nation that there are some people in this room who would say, I never thought that would ever happen in Canada. I never thought for a moment that they'd be hurting children like they are. Through abortion, transgenderism, limiting churches who could try to help them and counsel them and saying, no, it's against the law. But now to take this further step and to say, we can no longer preach the word of God. And Lord, it's only in its first reading And I don't know if the bill will even pass today. But it's been my experience, if they're talking about it today, 10 years from now, it'll be law. And so God, that's just a a foretaste of what's coming. But Lord, we, we can look at it and be fearful or we can give you thanks for the freedom we've enjoyed and are enjoying still. Lord, I pray that our church family would worship you with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and we would love you the same. Lord, that we would boldly proclaim in our community and around the world that Jesus saves, that he can change lives. Help us to never back down from the truth. Help us never to cave to the culture. Oh God, I pray for our leaders. We need wisdom so desperately among our leadership. Lord, I, I believe it's the Bloc quebec wall leader that's proposed this bill, and if it's gotten past the first reading, that's, that's startling to me. And I pray, Lord, that you would save that man, change his heart and his life, and Lord, that his mind might be submitted to thee. He might start thinking biblically. Pray for our prime minister. Oh, how he needs Christ. Just last Saturday, my daughter and I sat outside his home at 24 Sussex Drive, I sat there looking at his house and I was thinking, what a difference it could make in our nation if if Christ would come to that home. Oh God, I pray that you'd speak to his heart and save his soul. And Lord, all of our leadership, there's so many that we could pray the same thing over. And I pray, Lord, that we pray faithfully for those. Lord, as we seek to honor them, may we also lift them up before the throne of grace. Lord, help us as the people of God to stand. Help us, Lord, to understand that we have a king who fights for us and a God who's in control. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's use this altar today if God has spoke to your heart and as the instruments play this morning. I'm sorry to have kept you so late, but I think it's important that we spend some time with the Lord now. Will you pray for our nation?